Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. It's good to hear everyone loving on one another. Hopefully finding someone new. If you are new with us today, I hope you're, you're feeling loved on and welcomed. If you're online with us today, we just want to say thank you and wish we could hug you, but we'll just wave to you and say hi. Thanks for being with us. We hope you're blessed today. We really, really do. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited uh, to talk to you all today. I, I think this might be the last Sunday with our Ecclesia series. It's kind of been like a wonky series. There's been a lot of things kind of happening, uh, kind of some, some messages and stuff that um, it didn't, it, what I'm trying to say is it didn't go exactly like I thought it would go, but I think it's begin to stir up something in the heart of, of us where we can actually say this. I, can, can we say this? That, God, we want your church to be your dream, not ours, right? We don't want to take opinion polls, and, and we, we find out how we want the church, and then the, the leadership of the church is stressed out to try to make it be how people want it to be. People didn't pay for the church. Jesus did, and so Jesus is the boss. Amen? All right, and so, so I think that what we're saying is, God, we, we want the church to be the way that you see it, and, uh, and so that is really the, um, the, the, the topic or the, the theology that we've been trying to wade into. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus uh, says, on this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we love that Jesus uh, owns the church, he's purchased the church, he's building the church, nothing will prevail against the church, and then we've been talking about what church actually is. Um, and uh, it's, been, it's been really great. Last week, Steve S. Palmer, Pastor Steve, um, really preached a beautiful message about the, the church. Jesus raises the dead, but he calls us as the body to take people's grave clothes off, and that needs to be the culture of the church, no matter how stinky it is, no matter how smelly it is, that we serve one another in that capacity, and I just thought that was a beautiful word. Um, this morning, um, I, I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 23, and then also put your finger in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to see how far we can get today. I have so much on my heart uh, to share with this, and really, it, if I had the time, I would take this message and I, w- I would divide it into three different sermons, but I'm really good at fast talking, and so I'm just going to do it all in one shot, all right? Um, but uh, I, I would I'd love to do it in three different sermons, because what I want to do today is, is I, I want to talk about some theological concepts, some, some biblical concepts in general about the church, and then I want to talk about some uh, as they relate to spiritual gifts, and then I want to talk to some as they relate to leadership in the church. And so you'll see why I, I'm breaking it into those three. But, um, uh, but here's really where I'm going with that, is I want to a- ask you all the question today, biblically speaking, and I don't, I don't want us to answer how we think or how we feel or how, how we anything. I want us to go right to the Word of God, but here's the question I want to start out with uh, today is, what do you do when church just feels too painful to attend? Or in other words, what do you do when it just feels uh, too hurtful to gather? For whatever reason, it could just be... Um, a rough season that you're going through could be someone at that church that's hurt you. Could be something that you disagree with painfully uh, at the church. But w- what, whatever reason it is, I'm just asking the question, what do you do when it just feels too painful to gather together with the believers? Um, I, I know for me, um, have you heard the statistics that about 36% of, of people uh, uh, have come back to church since COVID? 
and then 41% of those 36% have gone to a different church. And so it almost feels like, as much as I, I love all the new people at Providence, I love, it's going to take some time to get to know you, and I spent about 14 years of, of my life getting to know a certain church that I no longer know, and that just feels bad as a, as a pastor for me in some ways, right? Um, I... Uh, Anybody? I felt like you left me hanging on that one. I just said something hard, and, and you all. So I, I'm really excited about where Providence is now. I've never, and I know it's easy to say this, and I've, I've said this stuff a lot throughout the years, but I've never in all my days been more excited about where Providence is right now. I feel like, like uh, that COVID was a refiner's fire, and God was burning some things, and he's making us more like Jesus. So I'm just like, man, I'm feeling that. I want to be a Jesus church. I, I, I feel like God's done some great things in me and in us. But... Uh, to say that church is painful is an understatement. I, I was taking my uh, son to basketball practice the other day in, uh, in like the East York area, and I was on 116 driving, and the uh, traffic started slowing down and kind of backing up, and as we crept along, I found out why. It was because there was a dog that had gotten off the leash and out of the house, and it was literally in the middle of the road running away from, the, from its owners. <laughs> and I, there was a... I, I'm, I think they were a husband and wife couple. They, they looked good together. Uh, they were chasing after this dog, and the, and the, the husband had the leash, and the, uh, the, the mom had this look of, uh, of fright on, on her face, and they're wondering why this dog isn't coming back. Then there's two girls in the front yard both crying. And, and as I passed this, I was like, if that's not what being a pastor looks like, then I don't know what is. <laughs> like, people are like, whoa, I'm out of here. And like, you know, hey, why are you going? Why didn't you say I've got a leash for you? And then the girls are crying, and literally... Literally, that is exactly right. But the, the tears that my family has cried over the, the pain of being a pastor. I was talking to a, a, a pastor recently that said, Nathan, like, right, I took his uh, sabbatical, but right before the sabbatical, I, I had told God that being a pastor is just not healthy, and you're going to have to prove to me that you've called me to do this and put my whole life and family and heart in jeopardy for this. You've got to let me know that you're in this. So, guys, listen, I know, like, I think sometimes we think about church being painful, and it's painful for all of us. But, you know, you know it's painful for pastors, too, and so I'm just sharing this that I'm there with you, not more hurt, just hurt along with all of us, that the pain that has happened in church uh, is, is really, really hard. And I want to talk about what do you do when it feels too painful uh, to, to gather. And I want to talk, like I said, some basic biblical principles. Then I want to talk about the uh, gifts in the church, because in my experience, spiritual gifts is a place of great pain in the church, and then leadership in the church is a place of major pain in the church, okay? So, but let me tell you this. I want to tell you a couple stories here uh, real briefly, and they are going to have a point. They're not just because I like to tell stories. They're not about champ. I will never talk about champ ever again in my entire life. I promise. You don't have to worry. And actually, like, I've, I've, made, I, I've, I've officially adopted champ, and I actually have him sit at our table now, and I'm treating him so nice just for you all. Okay? I, 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 I promise. Uh, but I want to tell you a story about an elevator. It, it ha who here just hates elevators? Anybody? See your hands? Uh, nobody. Good. So the, uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of going out of state to speak at a, uh, at a missions um, retreat or conference a few months ago, and we were staying at a, in a hotel that had about 15 stories. Okay, that means we needed to ride the elevator. We were staying on the ninth floor, and so I remember my wife and I were waiting by ourselves for the elevator. The doors opened up. It was the elevator all the way to the right. We get in the elevator. We hit number nine. It didn't really do any. The doors closed, but it didn't really do anything, and suddenly, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but suddenly the elevator shot up like faster than I ever. It just went whoom like that, and Adrian and I were holding 
onto each other in the rail, like what? And then it came to a screeching halt, but not at our floor. And, and it stopped there and it stayed there um, it, uh, for about 45 seconds, all right? Almost a minute. And, but you know that when you're on an elevator and it's paused and it's weirding out on you, you know that feels like about 10 and a half years, right? And it stops, and Adrian and I are looking at each other. And we waited long enough after about 45 seconds that I started hitting the emergency button and the door open button. I didn't care if we were in between floors. I didn't care what floor we were on. I'm getting out. I'm going to push my wife out. I'm going to jump out behind her. Like, we're getting off of this ride. Okay, finally the elevator started again and it took us to floor nine. But Adrian and I made a promise to one another. And we didn't even have to say it. But we made a promise to each other. We could, you know, we're, you know we, we've been doing this for almost 22 years next month, all right? So we can, we, we know. Uh, but we made a promise to one another that we're never getting back on that elevator again. All right. So we were even waiting for elevators and it was a busy time. And there was another guy waiting with us. The elevator on the right opens up. The guy walks in. He holds the elevator for us and says, come on. We said, no, we're going to wait till the next one. He's like, no, no, I insist. What floor are you on? We're like, talk to the hand, get off our backs, ride the elevator by yourself. And we did not, we didn't care how we looked. We didn't care what it looked like. Uh, we would not get on that elevator, right? I remember too, I, I went to Hershey Park a few years ago and I don't know the name of this ride, but it was, it's one of these rides, it's a roller coaster that um, it basically leaves you dangling. Like I like the Great Bear where you're really, you know, just strapped into that thing. This one uh, leaves you dangling. There's a little bar that just comes over your lap and you can kind of hold on to it, but then you're just like free flowing and it whips you around. And I, I just didn't like the feel of that. Uh, but uh, I remember I'm riding that. I was riding it by myself, testing out for my family to see if the rest of the family could handle it. I'm sitting with a bunch of teenagers all screaming and whatnot, and it's one of those rides that has a camera on it. Now, the reason I remember the camera, it actually takes your picture, then it blows it up for the whole world to see at the end and see if you want to buy it, right? The reason I remember that is because um, there was nothing holding my shirt down when the wind caught it, and so the, uh, the wind catches my shirt, blows it up over my face. I, I, listen, listen, I, I know you think this is crazy, but you just ask my wife. Uh, it blows it up over my face just in time for the camera to catch my dad body and uh, for all the world to see, all right? So we get down, and, uh, and we're all looking at the pictures, and all these teenagers are joking, look, look at the fat guy. Uh, look at the, uh, look at him. And they're like, I think they couldn't even see my face, but through my shirt, they knew it was me. And so I was just like, I made a promise in my heart. I will never in a billion years, I don't care if anyone gives me any amount of money, I'm never going on that ride again, all right? I am never, okay? And I haven't. I have stayed true to my promise. Guys, I, I, the reason I'm bringing these things up is because when you have bad experiences, whether it's with an elevator, whether it's with a ride, or whether with, it's with a church, we make these vows in our hearts without asking God. We make these vows in our hearts about what we will never do again. I remember my wife and I uh, told God when we got engaged that we will never live in Hanover, Pennsylvania. Send us to Uganda. Send us to Ukraine. Send us to anywhere on the face of the globe. I will witness the polar bears and an Antarctica, I will never in a billion years hang out with Hanoverians. They're the worst, all right? And so God actually, what he does is we made promises to him. We didn't ask him what his heart was for our lives, all right? And so what, we, what God actually did is, is, is he shined a light like that is the enemy trying to keep you from my best for you and my calling over your life. And so what happens is sometimes the pain that we experience is God actually wants to redeem that pain, turn it into a calling where we can actually bring healing to people that have been hurt in the same way. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
And so, so many times, guys, we have made these covenants, these, these spiritual covenants. We've made these promises to ourselves, to our families. Sometimes even these, these unholy covenants go down through the lines. Like, why don't you go to church? Well, I don't know. Like, my great-grandpappy never went. Well, why is that? Well, and it goes back to pain. It goes back to promises about what we will never do. Hello? And that is just not how you do the Christian life. You don't tell God what he's never going to do to you. you. You ask him, hey, God, what do you want from me? I remember at the really hard season at Providence, I got on a plane. I flew down to Florida, and I walked on the beach for three days. And I just said, hey, God, give me my calling back. Right now, I feel like a pincushion. I just feel like, man, I just feel like hated by all. You got to give me my calling back, and he did. And I'm, I'm here more fired up than ever, but I, it is not easy, my friends. But I tell you what, I, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to tell God what I'm not going to do. I'm going to say, Jesus, I surrendered my life to you, and I am yours, and I am not my own. I've been bought with a price, and you got to tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to walk in that no matter how bad it hurts, Right? So the question is, when we make these promises because we've been hurt or because it was embarrassing or because it was just so painful or because we were so annoyed or so aggravated or I can't even, have you ever been in a room with a person, you, you, you can't even think straight because you're just judging them so hard, right? Um, you can kind of, that creates an atmosphere, spiritually speaking, and, and it spreads, right? And so have you ever been in a situation like that? And my question is, is that God's best? Is that actually uh, healthy to say, because it hurt, I'm never going to do it again. And, and is it healthy? And I, I think all of us would say it's not. I think you can even ask a gym rat if that type of thinking is healthy, and the person that works out the gym will say, well, well, of course not. Imagine this. You go to the gym. You say, I'm having a commitment to getting stronger, and you go in, and you're curling, and then you're getting your this, and then you're pushing, and then you're doing your, yes, yeah, you know, you're doing all your squats and stuff, and you haven't been in the gym for a long time, and so the next day, you wake up, and you're sore. It would be absolutely audacious to say, since I'm now sore because of what I did, I'm just going to give up on health. No, it takes, do you know what discipleship is doing what you're weak at in the context of community? It is good. You're going to get sore. It is not going to be easy. I don't know what ride you signed up for when you put all your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, but it's not a bed of roses, you see. And the church needs to just get back to say, listen, Doing church is going to be hard. Is, is my witness to the world that I go in the way of ease or I go in the way of covenant commitment to people that I, that I choose to love? And this is, this is the question that we have. Now, we've created a church, I think in the seeker movement, where you take people's opinions. What do you want in church? Oh, a good kids thing? Okay, we, what do you want? You want it to be an hour long? Okay, good. And we fashion a church around people's comfort and wants, but that is just not discipleship. In fact, I think a really good church calls us out of the shallow and into the depths of the heart of God and says, you're going to you're gonna have to wade in the deep now. It is, it is time to get off of baby food, and it's time to start munching on some steaks, and I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you, and we're going to see God do great things, but this is going to be very, very difficult. Do you, are, are you guys tracking with me? Do you hear me? All right. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really not angry. I'm just urgent. Like, I'm just like, God, like, I feel in my heart. Like, when I look at the church, I feel, look, what, what a great group of potential-filled people. Like, not just this one, but just, just we're set up in a day to be a light in darkness. All right? But we have to start seeing the church that Jesus dreamt 
and the church that Jesus is building. And if we're off building another church other than the one that Jesus is, we're just going to miss the party. We're going to miss revival. We're going to watch it from a distance. We're going to evaluate it, you know, from the couch, but we're not going to be caught up in it. And who wants to be caught up into the thing that God's building? Anybody? I know I do. So, so listen to this for, for one moment. I'm, I'm going to read uh, Hebrews, and this is going to be my general principles uh, about the church, not all of them, just a few of them that I'm kind of mining out of Hebrews, and then I'm, we're going to go on from there. But here is Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 23 and going to verse 25. It says this, am I speaking fast enough for you guys too? You tracking? Are you, you All right, you good? All right, let us hold fast. The author of Hebrews is saying, actually, let, let me pause for a second. I actually don't think that Paul wrote Hebrews. Um, I, yeah, I think that it's, it's Pauline. Uh, I think that probably Barnabas or someone, one of Paul's companions, wrote Hebrews. Um, that is just, I, I've read Paul's epistles so much, and this is Paul-ish, but it is, I just don't think this is Paul's personality writing this. And the Holy Spirit inspired things using people's individual personalities. Is, is that not a beautiful thing, right? So anyway, I might be right, I might be wrong, just thought I'd give you that for free, okay? But listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, all the more as you see the day drawing near, that's talking about the return of Christ. So the basic implication here is, is, as the time for the return of Jesus draws near, you don't need to get together less. You need to get to together more, okay? But I want to bring out a few principles here. Number one, here's the first one, that perseverance in the faith takes the body. Perseverance in the faith takes community. And where I get that is I get that from verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, I'm defining that, um, I'm defining uh, perseverance as finishing well. It's like, we know a lot of us that start well, and Jesus even tells parables about there's some people that receive the gospel like this, but then when, when it gets hot, you know, they just fade and they're gone. There's other people, when the worries and cares of this world grow up around them, the, the good seed of God's word gets, gets squelched out, and so they never produce any fruit. And so I, I'm just saying that God wants us to finish well, and the way that he has designed the body of Christ to finish well is, is that we fight for each other's heart. We fight for each other's faith, and we do that as a body. We do that as a community. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. But I also want you to notice the grammar here. Okay, the grammar is, is in the plural. It's not in the singular. Do you see that in that verse? Right? So it, if it was in the singular, it would say, may you hold fast the confession of your hope, okay? But that's not what it says, all right? What it, what it says is, is let us, plural, talking about the community of believers, talking about the body of Christ, let the body of Christ 
Hold fast the confession of our hope. In other words, this isn't just your single solitary hope between you and Jesus. It is between you and Jesus, but you can't leave out the body. This is the, the hope that we share as a community in Jesus, the return of Christ, the, uh, the salvation of our souls, the, the forgiveness of sins, the, 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 the hand of God and the blessing in our lives. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So, so this call to persevere is, is rock solid in the context of us. See this? It's not just me. Uh, it, is, it is we have to do this together or we run the risk of like being scorched out. Of being letting, the, you know a good church is when somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, like I see weeds in your heart. It's like you're talking more about money and investments and stress and anxiety and all the things that are clouding you. And, and I, I just don't hear much. I used to hear Jesus coming out of your mouth and in your, in your face. Used to, I see, saw the glory of God in your face. But, but now I, I, I see you stressed by your investments. And so that is a good church when you, when you can fight and contend for each other's hearts, not in a shameful, scornful way, but as, as a community endeavor, we're going we're gonna to finish well. We're going to hold on to gospel hope. And that, that persevering or that holding on to gospel hope takes us, biblically speaking. So that's a general principle that perseverance in the faith takes the body, it takes community, all right? But here's another one, general principle, that stirring up love happens in community. I, have, you ever, have you ever just wanted more love, more power, more of God in your life, right? And so I know that God meets us in the secret place. I know that, and we need to be met. I have been met in the secret place so powerfully, I can, I can barely talk about it without crying, all right? So the secret place is so, so important. But the people that are encountering God in the secret place, the mandate of God on their life is that they would go and they'd stir up love, the love of God in other people's hearts and lives. All right? Stirring up love happens in the context of community. Uh, and in fact, we can't even talk about actually loving people from a distance because love can only be a feeling from a distance. And love is very multifaceted. There's, it, it is lots of feeling. It is lots of adoration. It's looking on someone, having compassion. But, but real love is the feeling combined with the action that love demands. All right? So, so you can't segregate yourself from everybody else, watch people worship online. I don't hate online. It's just it's supplemental. It's, it's not the main thing, all right? So uh, it, it's, it's a tool to help, you know, to, you know, to help be a bridge to here. Uh, but you can't watch people online, feel love for them, never do anything to stir their hearts with love and affection for God and think that you're living in obedience to Jesus, and his word, it just, it is, it is, it is not, you, you, it is impossible. And I think that we see people and we like them, uh, but I would just ask, when's the last time you've stirred somebody, stirred somebody's heart towards love? What, when's the last time it's been messy and you've gotten your hands and your heart actually in their lives? I'm all for intercessory prayer and the prayer rooms, and I want that, but it all has to be coupled with the messiness of church where we actually get in people's lives and care for them, all right? We, we uh, yes, do you get that? I, I feel like, man, I feel like I, I lost you as soon as I said I'm not talking about champ, all right? But uh, anyway, the one translation of this passage says, give continuous care 
to watching over one another, studying how we may incite love and helpful deeds. All right? Give continuous care. Continuous care and watching over one another, not to find out what they've done wrong, but how do I incite love? How do I let love be birthed and flourish in somebody's heart? How do I help them walk in the deeds that God has uh, prepared for them? Okay, so stirring up love happens in community. Um, but here's another thing. Not gathering can become a habit. Not gathering can become habitual. I've been on vacation where I've missed two, actually one time I missed three Sundays in a row, and actually getting up in the morning, not rushing around, not having the, the pressure to do what I'm doing right now and everything else on me, and just kind of eating some toast and looking at my wife and uh, being in my jammies and sipping some coffee. Sometimes on vacation, I'm like, I could get used to this, right? And now that we've gone online, we've given people permission to do it, all right? <laughs> so, um, but, uh, and, and once again, I like online, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a bad diet. It's only, it's only vitamins, all right? But um, the, uh, I, I, I know, like, so you can miss, if you miss church like three weeks in a row, it, it, it takes about that to create a habit, right? About 60 days to create a habit, and that's not 60 days, it's 21, but you, you get my drift here. Um, not gathering can, can become habitual, and we see this here, look at, at, at verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the, I want you to see that the, the biblical command is don't neglect the gathering. We just have to see this and just realize, all right? Well, the ride was rough. <laughs> I, had to, I had to hit the emergency button, you know? It, it, I, I got, I've, got, I've got trauma from it. Well, I, trauma can be healed by Jesus in the context of, uh, of together. It is ne trauma is never uh, an excuse for disobeying God's word. And God just says here, I, I just read it, not neglecting to meet together. All right? So it can become a habit. I would, I would just say someone, someone has to break the habit and someone has to just say, hey, we could stay here and ease, but I'm going. I'm going to look the people in the face that I really don't like or that hurt me or whatever, and I'm just going to hug them. I'm going to learn how to do this. Right? And here's the last thing, though, in general principles. Um, encouragement in the kingdom takes close proximity, all right? Now, I know there's some exceptions. You can send a note, very encouraging. But nothing, or you can send a text, or you can send an email. Listen, all right? So let's get the heartbeat of what God's saying. Let's not just think of, of what ifs here, okay? The encouragement, the way that God wants, takes close proximity. Look at verse 25 here. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Now, the implication here is, hey, I don't want you to neglect meeting together. In other words, I want you to gather and encouraging one another. So do you see, do you see how one thing leads to the next here? I don't want you to neglect gathering. I actually want you to encourage one another by making your presence known to other people, which is very, very encouraging. Have you, I've been in situations before where I walked into stuff like trauma, you know, death, hospital rooms, where I didn't need to say a word. I didn't need to text them anything. I didn't need a Bible verse. I didn't need to wear a Christian shirt. All I had to do was just stand there in the midst, and that was all people needed. And I think that we're, we're starting to lose that in our day where we, where we have this pressure to say stuff when God just wants us to operate in presence ministry, meaning your presence is important to other people's lives, and your presence can be very, very powerful. Amen? 
All right? So encouragement takes proximity. And I love this one. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the, the Romans, the epistle to the Romans, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. And listen to, his, listen to how he speaks of these Romans. If you read, if you read the, the rest of Romans, you, you'll see that the Romans weren't always great to him. All right? It wasn't all warm, fuzzy, but he loved them with a love that was supernatural. Listen to this. For I long, I long... <laughs> This is, this is how you, you write to, uh, this is terminology that you use when you write to someone that you're like romantically in love with. Man, I long for you if I could just see your face, if I could just, you know, kiss your lips, if I could just like whatever. I long to see you. I long to be near you. And this is how Paul talks to the church. I long to see you. I long to see you that I may, here's why, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. That is, that we may, listen, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So I long to see you. Do you know why? I want to give you gifts that I have that I've received from God, and I want you to give gifts to me, and I want us to be mutually encouraged by our presence together. And I want you to take it seriously. This, this, I want you to take it more from an obligation and ask God to make it a longing in your heart to see other people face-to-face and in person. Make it a longing, God. Man, I just pray that God does that in us. I pray that God does that more in me. And as we see the day drawing near, I told you this, that Christ's return um, is, is what this is referring to. And so the implication is encourage each other more in each other's presence more as the day of Christ is approaching. All right? Now, those are general principles that I want to speak about, you know, that are, I think, theological or, or good biblical foundations for us. But now I want to get a little bit practical with my last few moments here. And I want to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. And I'm not going to do a big, deep teaching, but I do want to talk about uh, what, they, what they are, how to use them, and how they can hurt. Okay? So turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with, with uh, verse 4 and going to verse 11. And I'm just going to read this. Now there are varieties of gifts, verse 4 says, but the same Spirit. Now watch this. The next, the next three verses are going to show the Trinity. All right, you see the Spirit. You see the, whenever the Bible says Lord, that's uh, focusing on Jesus. And then God, that's focusing on the Father. So now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, that's the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. So so the the entire Trinity is very into this. All right, what's about to happen here? Do you see that? And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now look at verse 7. To each is given the the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the the interpretation of tongues. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I want to say, uh, say a few things about this, but I, I want to, I want to um, you know, I- emphasize that I'm coming from a continuationist uh, uh, background and conviction, where I'd, all of these gifts that I just read here, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where any one of them stopped. I think the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to give them all 
more. And I think that the church needs to know how to wield them better because we've hurt people by wielding them in, in a painful ways. But I don't think our pain about being hurt by people that were misusing these gifts should impact our theology and we should just stop it all and never get back on that elevator. I think God wants to redeem it. He wants to show us how to use these things. So I don't believe any of the gifts have ceased. I believe that they're all in operation. I believe that the Holy Spirit is eager and, and, and not anxious, but urgent to pour out the gifts on the church because the gifts in, in right operation make a big deal of, of God. And uh, how we've tried to do life without all of these gifts uh, just mesmerizes me. I, I'm feeling it now. Like I'm feeling like Jesus is just like, yeah, this is, this is the lane. But listen, I want to tell you that the primary purpose of spiritual gifts is this, the common good. Do you see that? Do you see that? It, the, the primary purpose of gifts is, is not to make you, you feel good about you. It's not to make you feel important. It's not to make you feel special, all right? The primary purpose of all of the gifts is the common good, meaning gifts were given to you so you can be a blessing to others. You see? All right? All right. <laughs> you guys, I have to talk about chant for you to engage. It's okay. You know, it's all right. Uh, it's the common good. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit wants to give gifts to people, listen, for the good of the body. All right, for the good of the body. And if we actually look at this, if we jump over to, to chapter 14, verse 3, okay, we see this. It says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. Listen, here's, here's what a New Testament prophetic gift does, all right? The, the, in the, the New Testament context, someone prophesying in the body speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So when, when there's a, a New Testament prophet, they were consoling hearts and lives. When, when there's a, a New Testament prophet, uh, prophet, people were being built up under their words and actually getting courage to face life in any mountain and any challenge. That's how a New Testament prophet operates. Many times what we've done is, is we have heard people that come and they say, thus saith the Lord, God is wetting his sword. He's going to chop off your head if you don't repent. He hates you. He hates your kids. Is. He hates everybody, and that, that's, the, that's the vibe that we get. So we, we cower before a God who wants to hug us, all right? So that is the, the painful version. The, the biblical version is when someone is speaking. I really think that the best definition I know about uh, what the gift of prophecy is in the body is just someone that's speaking the heart of God, all right? And you know what? In the New Testament, someone with a prophetic gift can get it wrong, just like someone with a great musical gift can hit a wrong note. All right? We, we, don't, we, have, a, you know, we have this very weird, like this expectation that if it's prophecy, it's got to be perfect. The, the, the scriptures are perfect, divinely inspired by God, but, but uh, the prophetic gift is coming out of imperfect individuals, and sometimes it's a little off, or sometimes it's a little on, just not perfectly. You see? All right? So we're not, we're not speaking like the Pope speaks, supposedly, and is actually saying Scripture. We're speaking the heart of the Father towards people. So sometimes teachers teach, and they were a little off, but the bulk of it was pretty good. They were doing their best, and there is no exception here. This is how it works. So we have the expectation that everybody using a gift ha has to be infallible. Man, that's, that's not a good understanding of uh, biblical gifts in the body. And when we set ourselves up 
like with that type of uh, theology, it's going to be a theology that where we get hurt and wounded, all right? I went forward to be prayed for once as a teenager. I told you guys this, uh, but I'll, I'll just remind you from a guy who he said he had a word for me. He got it completely wrong, and then he sang a song over me, embarrassed me bad. He, 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 he sang like a, a camel that mated with a donkey. Uh, he, uh, it was just like, I'm just like, I want to close my ears. and like, Jesus, why are you torturing me with this? You know, but listen, that's as messy as it gets. I would rather have a church culture where people say, hey, I think I'm feeling something. Does this make any sense? And where you can say, no, but thanks for trying, right? All right, so, so this has to be the culture of a New Testament church if, uh, where we operate in gifts, but we don't use we don't use when someone misses it as a dagger to just assassinate that person and tell them they're unbiblical, all right? Now, here's where pain comes. Pain comes with the primary purpose of spiritual gifts is the common good of the body. Pain comes in this door. It comes when we use our gifts for something other than what they were intended to be used for by God, okay? Let me say it again. Pain comes when we use our gifts for something other than what they were intended for, okay? So, for instance, if we um, get this gift, maybe we have a good speaking gift, or we get to have a good upfront gift, or we have a good prophetic gift, or we have, we have a, a good musical gift, or we have, we have some type of gift that makes people go, ooh, I like that. We can use that gift to honor ourselves, and we can use that gift to show off. We can use that gift to actually get prideful. Or listen to this one. This is when it gets really bad. We can use that gift as a substitute to biblical identity. And we actually get our identity from the gift that we have instead of the gospel and the adoption that we have through Jesus. You see that? So many times in, in, the, in the charismatic church, you, you hear a lot of people that are saying, you know, hey, my name's Nathan. I'm a prophet. Well, I, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> we, don't, we don't lead with how we're gifted around here. You know, like that's like, uh, good. You know, is that what you wanted? Like, okay, good. You know, but uh, so it's, it's, hey, I'm Nathan. I'm just, how can I serve you, right? So if God's given me anything, I want to use it for your good. That has to be the vibe and the, uh, the cultural context around here, and pain comes in. Listen, this is, it is, uh, it is unhealthy to lead with how we're gifted. We have to lead from from uh, a heart of character and integrity out of pure relationship with God. We don't just put everything on our gifts. It, that crumbles. That is not a ship you sail on, all right? So, and this is why we need inner healing, because the church is full of broken people, right? Becoming more like Jesus, but not perfectly like Jesus yet. So we, we, need, we need healing, guys. So when, as the Spirit is pouring out gifts, we're not using those gifts for something other than what they are, and they're, they're gifts to, for the common good of the body, they're not gifts to make us feel better about who we don't think we are. Or, oh, finally, I've got something so good. There's so, there's so many people that have, have uh, just felt like inferior because they haven't had a certain gift that somebody else has. And that's just, that's just not a, a healthy view of gifts in the church. And so that is a door where pain can happen. Anybody ever been there? Anybody? Now, so, so the primary purpose for spiritual gifts is the, the, the good of the body, building the body up, speaking life into the body, calling people into the destiny that God has for them. Here's another one, though, and I, I'm speaking this just from, from my perspective. I'm willing to disagree with you on this one, but I really believe that all of the gifts are available, okay? All of them. 
But I don't just mean just available for, you know, they're available and, and when you're born again, you get a gift and then they're not available. I believe that you're born again and all the gifts never stop being available to you all your life. All right? Verse 31 of uh, Corinthians uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 12 says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Well, if you only, I grew up believing that I get saved and at conversion I get a gift and I'm just supposed to steward it well. You know, I get this one gift, all right? I, 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 now I believe that they're all available. And my opinion is that often in the church we do these spiritual gift tests and doing these spiritual gift tests, we're not really discovering our gifts as much as our God-given personalities. That, that's why I see. That's why we just stop doing the tests. Like, sometimes they're helpful. Often, usually they're not. They're confusing. And we start finding our, that you're a dominant personality. You're a, you know, a sanguine or whatever that is. We got RSTLNE or whatever. You know, we, we have all of these things. Listen, that's not how you're gifted. That's just how you're wired, Okay. And so, so I, I really believe that, that the Bible wouldn't say earnestly de desire the higher gifts if no matter how de much desire you have for them, you can't get them. They're not accessible. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to give gifts in certain situations so he gets all the glory. Okay? Verse 14, one says this, pursue love. Come on. That's the cultural context that gifts are used for the common good. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Guys, can we just look at this rationally for a second? Earnestly desire. That means, that means with longing. That means, man, I want more of you, God. God, if there's anything else that can be an encouragement to the body, if there's anything else you want to give me, you've given me one, and that's great. But more, please, make me a sharp weapon in your, king, in, in your kingdom. Man, I want to be used, all right? Especially, if you continue reading on there, especially that you may prophesy. Now, it is hard to obey that passage in churches that say that's not biblical, but I just read it from the Bible. So I, I made a commitment. No matter how many friends I, I lose, I'm following what is on the pages of Scripture, all right? Well, I, I have, how, how can I not, okay? So, so this whole, so here's, here's a, let me give you a few examples here, all right? Um, I've, uh, I think I have a, I think I have a speaking gift. Sometimes I, I, I wrestle with that. Sometimes I'm, you know, I, I think I do, but, you know, anyway, I have kind of, kind of a part of what I do now. Uh, but let me tell you that in, in my leadership at Providence, um, the, the, the gifts that I've leaned on the most are, you know, sometimes you come to a fork in the road and you need stuff and some, you need to hear from God. And there's been times in my life where I've needed to hear from God, like, like, uh, um, I don't know if, you, if, if you've been around here a while, we raised like an obscene amount of money for this building. And then, then uh, DEP needed to do a study on the land for nine months uh, on turtles. They're so cute and sweet. And so, uh, so in that nine months, the amount of, uh, the, the, the cost of building that, all the prices went up for the subcontractors and steel. And so suddenly the building cost more than we had a loan, an approved amount from the bank to get as a loan. And so we were, we were having a board meeting. We were just like, hey, we just might have to shelf this whole thing. And I just said, hey, guys, before we shelf this whole thing, can we pray about this? Like this is one of these moments where like we don't just make a decision here. We cry out to God and we get a word from God. And so I, I remember going home uh, that night and really crying out to God and really having all this pressure. And I woke up in the morning 
uh, with this word on my heart. Ask Jim Bailey to take second position with the bank. Now, Jim Bailey was the guy that we uh, bought the land from. He's a precious guy, and I think he, he, he's like family to us. But he sold us this land. We, we, we had a loan to him. We also had a loan to uh, that we were trying to get from the bank to build the facility. And, uh, and I didn't really even know what that meant. Asked Jim Bailey to take second position with the bank. And so I, I called up some business people and stuff. And they said, that's genius. That's genius. How'd you think about this? I was like, well, I'm a pretty good leader. Uh, you know, so, uh, and, uh, so we started calling all these things. And when we got to the bank, the bank said, that's genius. As long as Jim Bailey is willing to do this, we can do this. And Jim Bailey was. And it, and it, it, it saved the whole building project. Guys, I didn't even know what that meant. What I, what I would call this, this is, this is listen, this is a, a, a word of wisdom. It's like a, a prophetic word, but it's, it's, it's for wisdom. It's something, it's like supernatural wisdom that you don't know. I remember I was praying for somebody at the front, not here, but in another building, where I was like, God, I, I, don't, I don't know what to pray for this person. I need a word of knowledge that would just kind of open up their heart. And I remember when I prayed this word out, their whole family, they all fell on the ground and started crying. I was like, huh, that's interesting. And it was just a word that just unlocked the whole family's heart. It's when you're ministering to people, it, you, you usually you can't go back to your schooling. You, you have to go back to, God, will you give me a gift to unlock this person's heart? This has to be supernatural. I can't conjure this thing. This has, this has to be. And there's, there's story upon story upon story upon story how schooling proved to be ineffective, but the spiritual gifts in the body unlocked everything, all right? And we need, we need the Holy Spirit to move. Now, often, I told, often pain comes when we try to force our gifts or experiences on others or when we adopt a prideful posture because of our gifts. That's the door that the pain comes through, right? So, so I said, hey guys, you know, when I had a hard decision to make, I just asked God and then he gave me a word the, the next morning. And if, I, I'm sorry for your confusion, but you just need to have more faith. Or you just need to, or you just, listen, when we start forcing our experience on other people and start making our experience biblical, that hurts. That's the, God works differently with different people. Stop taking your experience and saying, you have to have this too. That's when then people feel, just feel like a, a nothing, like you must love them more than me. God wants to love on people and pour out gifts as, as uniquely. He's so creative. Okay, so in the church, when we, when we get stuff, we serve with it, we bless, we improve people's lives with it, we call people to Jesus with it, we make much of Jesus, we use the gifts out of purity of heart, but we don't force these things from a prideful posture onto other people and then look down on them if it didn't happen for them like it happened to us. Man, that is called hurt and pain, and that's nonsense, you see, all right? So I'm, I'm really um, out of time right now, but I wanted to talk about leadership in the church. Do you mind if I do like a power session on this, on leadership in the church real quick? Listen to this. And then, because I want to do communion too. This is crazy. But, well, hold on a second. Um, I, I'm going to, give me 45 seconds. That's my number. All right? So listen, listen. Leadership in the church is a place where many times leaders have been control addicts. All right? That Jesus is not controlling. Okay? I want, to, I want to read a few things to you here. Leadership in the church, in a kingdom culture, is less about efficiency and more about maturity. So we're not trying to figure out how we can do this thing the fastest. We're trying to build people up into, the, into maturity, into being like Jesus. All right? That's leadership in the church. Leadership in the church more, looks more like a good parent than a rich executive. All right? It can be a rich parent. I'm just saying. It looks, it looks more like a good parent than a rich executive. If you can't it, listen to this one. If you can't be led, you should never lead. 
If you step right into a church and say, put me in leadership, we say, get in a, get in a community group, serve on a team, scrub a toilet. Like, we're not, we're not impressed by your past. We, we want to see that you're going to fit in here and you're going to have a servant posture, all right? And pain enters when efficiency, corporate power, title, lust, and hunger uh, enters the church. We, we stop building people and we start building machines. We, start, uh, we end up using people to make the machine go instead of empowering people by patiently walking with them like spiritual moms and dads, you see? All right? So uh, here's an example. If, if you want to lead a community group uh, around here, join a community group first. Just get in there and serve and bless people and pray for people and make hummus, all right? Make things to dip in the hummus, all right? Take blueberries from your blueberry bushes and, and, and serve them at your community group for free, right? Uh, but uh, don't just come at, asking to lead, okay? That's not how it works. So, uh, man, I've got a lot more to say, but I, I, I want us to remember the the power of the cross right now. Did you guys get a communion cups when you came in? I didn't get one. Can somebody get me one? Just, just toss it to me. Jesus will understand. But I, I, want us, I want us to hold this cup. Like in this cup, what is, thank you, brother. In this cup, what, what this is symbolic of is you, you'll see on the top here, you, there's a, you pull this back and there's a little wafer in the top. And then you, you pull the next layer and, and you get, you get the, the grape juice. All right? What this is symbolic about is, is symbolic of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Do you know this? That there were, there were people called the Moravians. I've talked about them before, but let me just tell you this. There were people called the Moravians that lived hundreds of years ago, and they were a community of people that gathered at a place called Hernhut, all right? Uh, it, it was a Count Zinzendorf's land. And there were people that were made up of tons of different denominations. And they, because of their denominational differences, they couldn't get it together. They were constantly fighting, constantly fighting, constantly at odds, constantly separating, constantly le leaving one another. And so what happened is Zinzendorf called a, uh, a community uh, communion meal. And, and as they, as they focused on the, the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, they got a corporate vision of the lamb who was slain. And that, they, they call this the Moravian Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out on these Moravian people in a life-changing, radical, history-making way. And uh, what, what happened was when, when their denominational differences couldn't unite anyone, is the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus united them. And what, what happened is from this communion meal, they, they started a battle cry that was to win for Christ the rewards of his suffering. And they sold themselves into slavery to share the good news of Jesus Christ with slaves. And they went all over the, the corners of the earth. And it birthed a 100-year prayer movement that didn't stop for 100 years straight, 24-7, guys. And it all happened when they took communion together. This is powerful. If anything's going to unite us, it's not going to be, you know, smooth sermons. It's going to be the body and blood of Jesus. Amen. And the night that Jesus, listen to this, the night that Jesus was betrayed, that was the context, betrayal. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he held it and he said, this is my body. I want you to, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me. So we're going to eat today. Would you just eat with me? We're just going to remember the body of Jesus. And as we're eating this, we're just letting go all offense at other people. We're letting go all, all ways that we've judged other people. 
We're letting go of all that. We're trusting you with people that bother us. We're saying, God, lead us into new territory. Thank you for your body broken for us, oh God. And on the same night, he took the cup and he says, this cup, you know what this symbolizes? This symbolizes the new covenant in my blood. Old covenant was you have to obey the law. And the law was given just so we'd see our need for the blood of Jesus. All right? He says, this, this cup is, symbolizes the, the new covenant in my blood. Take this and drink this whenever you do in remembrance of me. So we remember the blood of Jesus. This, not the waters of baptism, the blood of Jesus is what washes away our sins. So we, we, we just... Just, we just remember the price that was paid for us. The, the holy, eternal Son of God bled and died on a cross for our sins. We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach it to ourselves again. Amen? Amen. Will you just, can we just take this together? And we the forgiven much, we the forgiven much, we forgive anybody who's sinned against us. Amen? Amen. Can we just pray? Can you just hold out your hands to God? Can you say, God, I want to go into new depths. I want to go into new territory. I want to go to higher heights. I want to go deeper in your love. I want to love people more radically than I ever knew I could. I actually want to be a part of a body of Christ that, that isn't just shifty and, and, and smooth and cool, but I want to be a part of a people where we stir one another's hearts up where we receive supernatural gifts and encourage one another, where we advance the kingdom uh, of, of Jesus and push back the kingdom of darkness. We want to see that happen in, on our watch, God, in our day. We want to be a part of that. No matter how dark it gets in the world, God, we want to be a part of your church, supernaturally pushing back the darkness in Jesus' name. And we want to do it together. So God, I just keep, I keep crying out. This is my prayer. I keep crying out for anything that is standing in the way of, of each other. Any, any hurt, any pain, any bitterness, any brokenness, any, any, uh, any unholy covenant or agreement that we've made where we say, I, won't, I will never get on that elevator again. I will, never, I, I will never talk to that person again. I will never go to that person's house again. I will never, I will never. I just pray, God, that you would break these I would nevers and that you would, you would just pour out your love, God. I just pray you make people silly in your love. You just hit them. I, I, I pray, God, that, that you would... Uh, give people a vision to be a change agent to the places that hurt them instead of just being a, a part of the army of the wounded. I pray, God. So just heal us, God. And God, heal our hearts. We just ask for Holy Spirit, would you just heal us all the places where, we, where we've been tr trying to get identity from spiritual gifts and where the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus and our faith in you and our adoption, uh, the spirit of adoption just hasn't been enough. We need, we need gifts too. We just say, Jesus, you're enough. We just, we just declare that today. You're enough. And Holy Spirit, any gift that you want to give to us, we're just going to use it to bless people's socks off. We're just going to get silly with it, God. We're just going to, we just want to be used. We just pray, God, you, you pull us back and you turn us loose. And you give us everything that we need to supernaturally love this world. Bring glory to Jesus. God, bless this church. Touch this church. I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.